Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I think every child has a dream of, of doing something significant. All of us are built with this innate desire that life will have meaning, that we'll be doing something uh, that brings meaning, that there'll be something awesome. You know, sometimes uh, we, we dream of being famous because we see that as a way of, man, I could have an impact on the world. If I was an all black, then people would listen to me. If I, if I was Ed Sheeran, then, you know, I could write songs or whatever. And man, that would be awesome. I mean, it would be sweet having all that money too, right? It's funny because we've kind of got into this world where some people are famous basically for being famous. Like they might have had something kind of small initially where they got famous, but let's be honest, really over time, they're, they're more famous because they just, they're in, in our faces all the time. Social media, I think the Kardashians are like that. I'm not even sure why they got famous to begin with, but you know, maybe their dad was a famous lawyer or something like that. But right, you know, they kind of get to a point where you're like, I don't, I'm not even sure why they're famous, but somehow... They're famous, right? <laughs> and I, I, I loved sport as a kid. I played a lot of sport. I used to play all, all sorts of things. But I dreamed that one day I could be a famous sports person, you know, that I would like. I was like, man, girls could do anything. You know, I grew up with a brother. So you just kind of have that sense of like, I could totally be an all black, even though, you know, the boys are the all blacks. But right, you know, we've got the black ferns at our women's team. But, but God's put this desire in us that says that my life could be significant, that there's things that God's called in us. And, and actually, before we know God, we still have those desires. But as we come to know Him, we recognize that He's actually got a plan and a purpose for our life, right? And in Ephesians 2, Verse 10, you'll probably know this verse. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's pretty awesome. Before we were born, He prepared things for us to do. You know, God has accomplished it to, in us to, to do great things. I remember... I used to be a primary school teacher before I had a, a child, and I, I love talking to, to kids because there's something exciting in them that they know this, right? They know that they were born for awesomeness, they, and you speak to it, and you can see them come alive. I remember talking to some year kind of three, four, fives, and they just start speaking vision, speak, man, your life has meaning, there's power, and, and you could just see like, yeah, totally, you know, the boys kind of sit up, and the girls are like, totally, and you know, they just just have this confidence because that's, you know, it's hardwired in us that we're called to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And we're called not just to be famous for being famous, but actually to change the world, to change the world, to do something. And, and I love that he had a plan before we were born, right? And in Psalm 139 verse 13, it says, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Man, if we let that actually really reside in us, then when we looked at ourselves in the mirror, all those thoughts that sneak in that are like, ooh, I've, you know, eaten one too many cookie, uh, you know, and then we start to kind of look down, but actually God has made us to be wonderful. He knows that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's amazing. Like, so I'm 22 weeks pregnant right now, and I was thinking about this and preparing for this message that like, this baby that I'm carrying right now, God's prepared in advance what it will do. And I have no, I don't even know if it's a boy or a girl, you know, but actually God knows. God knows everything about it and God knew that about us. God knew, hey, that we're called for great things. And who's got siblings? Yeah, almost all of us got siblings. Siblings are a real blessing, but they can also be a little bit mean at times, right? Yeah, let's be honest, who's ever been mean to one of their siblings before? Moment of honesty, yeah, cool, we're, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> Some, you know, sometimes you like to tease your siblings. Maybe, maybe you tell them that they're adopted. Who's ever done that? <laughs> I love all those, they're like this. Yeah, like that was me, yeah. <laughs> or maybe next, I've got a, I've got a brother, uh, so, so I've got a sister two years older and then I'm a twin. My mum and dad, like, totally didn't know they had twins. When we were born, they found out that there were two of us. My dad fainted at the hospitals to, uh, like, traumatic. And then, then it took them five years to kind of recover from that. And then they had my brother, right? <laughs> and so when they had my brother, we used to tease him a bit that, like, like that he was adopted or, you know, those kind of things. And, and it, just as kids, you kind of do that kind of stuff. But actually... Uh, you know, for some of us, we felt that maybe from our parents, maybe I had a friend and he was a lot younger than his siblings and his parents kind of let slip that he had been born accidentally, right? They weren't kind of planning to have another child. But, but actually, none of us are an accident. You know, none of us were not intended because the Word says that God knew us before we were formed. You know, that He knew us before we were born and He has plans and purposes for our lives. And I love the thought that in Ephesians it's saying, hey, God's got stuff for us to do. He didn't just put us on the earth and be like, all right, off you go. You know, <laughs> try, try and just kind of figure it out as you go along. Actually, there's a plan for our life. There's something that we can connect with that will give purpose and meaning uh, to, to what we do on earth. And, you know, that's, it's all well and good to think that. But it's like, how do we find out what those things are? Right, how do we know uh, what, what those things are? And I love that we serve a God who doesn't leave us in the dark. That actually his desire is to reveal things to us. He doesn't necessarily tell us the whole plan in one go, because sometimes we'd be like, are you serious, God? You know, I'm not sure if I want to say yes to all those things. But he reveals his heart is for us to know the plans that he has for us, and that we can walk in them. And so tonight I want to talk about heavenly vision. It's good. See, I love how God connects thoughts. This morning, Pastor Peter, you know, he talked about vision. He talked about how our life is as big as we dare it to be. That's a pretty cool but pretty scary thought, right? That actually our life can be as big as we dare it to be. And he asked the question, are we... Uh, at the best version of ourselves yet. 
Do we see a future uh, for ourselves? Do we see something bigger than what we're in right now or what, who we are right now? Are we believing to grow? Are we believing uh, to be something, uh, just another version? And, and do we have a vision of how things in our lives could be different? Because I believe that God wants to give us vision. He wants to give us direction so we can be people with purpose and, and walk in that and know where we're heading. Is that good? So tonight I want to look at a guy called Nehemiah who lived about 450 years before Jesus was born. So if you go there, just a little bit of history. So in 586 BC, there's a city, Jerusalem, which is now still here today. And there was... Many of God's people lived in the city of Jerusalem, but it was attacked by this a group called the Babylonians, and much of the city was destroyed. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, just a, a terrible time in the history of God's people. The, the city was destroyed, and the people who lived there were taken captive, and they got taken away to Babylon, which was uh, like quite a long way, maybe like three months' journey from, from where they were. And it was a big deal. Because Jerusalem was like the Jewish people's holy place. It was a holy city, and they had a temple. We're back in uh, the, Old, the Old Testament before Jesus came. Uh, the, the presence of God dwelt in a place. It wasn't in the people uh, like it is now in us, uh, but it was in a place. And so uh, they had the presence of God that dwelt in this temple that was in Jerusalem. And so it was a really big deal, and it was heartbreaking when their city was destroyed. It was heartbreaking and over time, uh, the Babylonians who destroyed the city were defeated by another group called the Persians. Uh, so the Israelites were then ruled by the Persians. So they'd been uh, defeated by the Babylonians, but then they uh, were taken over by this other group. And then uh, before we meet Nehemiah, there's been two groups of people uh, who've been allowed to go back to Jerusalem. So two groups have kind of gone back and they're, they're, they've tried to rebuild the city. Uh, so they started and they rebuilt uh, the temple and they were uh, things were going okay, but they hadn't really got the city back to a point where it was safe and where, uh, where things were really kind of at the point where you would want to have it. Uh, and, and when we meet Nehemiah, he's, he's got quite a sweet job. Even though he's kind of under the... Uh, uh, the, I guess the authority of, of a foreign king, he's got a job where he's the cupbearer to the king. Uh, and if you turn with me to Nehemiah 1 verse 1 to 4, it says this, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, uh, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to, me, uh, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. See, this was heartbreaking news for Nehemiah. Because he understood, you know, it's not like a modern day city where kind of just the edge of the city, you know, we have, it's like the city of Dunedin where their sign is about 100 kilometers from where the actual city begins, right? Your city wall was a big deal. 
Because without a wall surrounding your city, then you were uh, vulnerable to attack from the enemy. You were vulnerable. You, you couldn't kind of relax because at any point you could be taken out by foreign people coming to raid your environment. And so they knew that something had to change. And for Nehemiah, there's something in him that, that is really impacted by this a report that he hears and it starts to stir something in his heart. And I wonder for us, all the time we're looking at situations and we think, man, that's so sad. Or, or we think, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if someone did something about that? Who's ever thought that? Yeah, man, someone should totally do something about that. Or, or maybe we look at something and think, oh, I could see a way that that could be so much better. But, you know, some sometimes those ideas stick. Sometimes there's something in that that you kind of keep coming back to that thought. And, and for Nehemiah, it was like that. He was impacted by the situation and he, and he saw that things could be different. And then something in that vision, the picture that God had given him just stuck. It really impacted him. And, and tonight I want to say that heavenly vision sticks. See, Andy Stanley defines a vision as a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be, right? So, so sometimes we see something and we think, oh, it could be like that. We can see all sorts of ideas, but we don't have that sense of a conviction that actually that should be different. But every so often we see something and it's like God reveals it to us. And, and often we're thinking, man, who's the person that, that's gonna do something about that? And God's like, well, I showed you and you're quite capable. <laughs> and the heavenly vision, it's, it sticks. There's something about it. And God says, man, we'd be people who would accomplish great things and make a difference in our world. And he doesn't just kind of say, okay, go off you go, try and work it out on your own. Actually, he reveals situations to us and gives us a picture of how things could be different and a conviction that that should be better, that something's different, that something can change there. And see, you know, sometimes we have, uh, we have a whole lot of ideas and, you know, it's, it's a challenge because we come... And, and the kind of temptation is to invest our time in a whole lot of different things and energy. And, you know, for some of those things, it's like you're passionate about it one day and then the next day you kind of moved on and you're passionate about something else and then, and then something else you notice. And, you know, that thing doesn't kind of seem to stay in your heart. But every so often there's something and you just can't shake it. Every time you see that thing, you're like, ah. Oh. And, and it kind of creates this weight, this burden in you that, man, there's got to be a better way. You know, there's got to be a better way. Maybe you drive through town and you see someone who's homeless and, and you think, man, actually, oh, there's a burden. You start to, to grow this, this weight of, man, that God, I know you can do something different. And, and for us, for, for Nehemiah, that was the case. You know, God gave him a vision of something that he couldn't shake. And so he was so impacted that he began to fast and to pray. See, God's vision for Nehemiah was that he would be a man that would lead uh, the people and that they would uh, come to a place, of, first of all, of rebuilding the wall, but then they would uh, return to God, that they would give back their hearts to God. And his desire is that they would uh, be that, you know, the people, and he would lead that. 
But for us, God's called us to do different things. You know, maybe you're thinking, I don't really know what the visions God's given me for my life are. Some really good questions to ask is, what are one of those challenges that you just think about a lot? What's something that you kind of find yourself pondering, you know, when you've got five minutes or maybe at the traffic lights you find yourself thinking about it and someone toots because, you know, you've got a bit distracted. Or, or what motivates you? You know, maybe it's the thing that you just get super excited at talking about, right? You know, when you catch a person in that, that moment and they just like, ah, and they want to tell you everything about it, you know, because vision motivates us. What fuels you to action? What makes you get out of bed early? What makes you uh, go and, and make sacrifices for things? You know, maybe it's something that bothers you. Or as Pastor Peter talked about this morning, maybe it's something that you're dissatisfied about. That actually you're thinking, oh, I think there needs to be a change. You know, because some of us, God has called us into the arena of business. That actually we can be people to, uh, in a workplace missionary impacting our community. That maybe God's given you a vision for, for a business where you, you know, can gather people in. I talked to someone in our church this morning and I was inspired by his vision because he was talking just about all of these people that God's connecting him with who, who need a second chance. And he's like, man, I've got the opportunity to be able to do that. And something you could see in him had stirred. You know, the burden that he could see had stuck. You know, maybe he's called you to be a missionary overseas to help less the privileged people or, or go and do things. You know, for some of us, that's what it is. Maybe it's to raise an awesome family. You know, I don't think we just have one vision. God doesn't just give us one thing. I think God continually gives us visions. Some of them are big things, but some of them are just really small things. Sometimes it's just a picture of how our circumstances right now could be better. And we just believe for something different and, and to change. You know, what do you dream about when you think about making a better future? What's the thing that stirs you? What's the thing you, you can't stop thinking about? I was thinking this morning when Pastor Peter was talking about vision uh, of an example of something for me that was just real little, but it really changed uh, my last year of university. So I'd, uh, I did a five-year degree in Dunedin, and I, for four years I flattered with uh, people that I'd met at the hostel in the first year. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, I moved into this flat in my last year, and I had these flatmates that like, were quite hard uh, to get along with. Well, I found it quite challenging, right? Uh, and they'd lived in the flat for a long time. They had this system that, you know, you got a vote for every number of years that you'd lived in the flat, which like, is awesome if everyone's only lived there for one year. But one of the guys had lived there for 10 years. So I'm like, there's just no way that we're ever going to kind of change anything. And for a long time, I just got really frustrated. <laughs> I was just like, ah, oh, this flatting situation. I'm flatting with Christians. It should be so much easier than flatting with non-Christians, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Liz is laughing because I think she knew my flat. <laughs> but, but, you know, for a long time, I just didn't have a vision for how things could be different. I just was frustrated, you know. And, and one day my mum said, you need to start praying uh, for, for just a change of heart, for a vision for your flat. And so God, over time, he really changed my heart. He gave me a picture of the fact that, hey, your flat could be totally different. If you just started praying, approaching your flatmates in a different way, things could change. 
And it, it was a tiny thing, but man, it made a massive difference. It changed the way, first of all, that I related to them, which was good, you know, just a real shift. But then it created a space where we just began to dream for great things. And, and actually, what was awesome was in that season, you know, where it kind of been a sense of feeling a bit stuck. Actually, at the end of that year, everybody made a decision, man, I'm going to pursue different calls, different things that God's put on my life. And it was an amazing transformation. But it it started with a decision that I'm going to believe for something different. I see that this situation is frustrating right now or that actually this is heartbreaking. There's a burden in my heart and I can be someone who does something different. Because heavenly vision sticks. You know, sometimes we don't necessarily like it to stick. It's like, we've, you know, like we're like, oh man. But actually there's something that God does in our heart as we choose to accept, hey God, actually you've called me to be someone who's gonna make a change in this situation. The second thing about heavenly vision is that it endures. See, Nehemiah was very impacted by what he uh, had heard and he couldn't shake the idea. But he didn't decide, oh man, okay, I've got this thing and I'm going to escape in the night and just get going straight away. Because he could have, he could have like made a decision, I'm just going to leave straight away. I've got this vision, God's given me this vision, let's just go, let's just do it, let's just run, let's just, you know, I'll just get, the sooner I can get started, the better it will be, right? Because sometimes, Actually, that's the temptation that we have. We get a vision or God gives us a vision and all of a sudden we just want to get going on it. We want to be able to, uh, to see that fulfilled straight away. But, but Nehemiah is quite different. In fact, what happens is he actually just goes back to his job. He goes back to being a cupbearer to the king. And, and you know, he's working for uh, a ruler of a foreign country which was holding his people captive. So he actually chooses, man, I'm going to continue to, to stay in this environment, but actually I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe uh, that, that God is preparing my heart in a season where my circumstances haven't actually changed all that much. See, time is quite valuable because often we have heaps of great ideas Time allows us to distinguish them between what, you know, the kind of good ideas and what God is actually calling us to do. You know, as we get big visions, we get an awesome vision of our future, we can want to rush off and, and start things in our own time. And some things, you know, with vision, some things God gives us, they start straight away, but other things, they just rely on a time to prepare us. Uh, that God, vision can involve waiting. And waiting can be hard. <laughs> Who finds waiting hard? Yeah. I, I was watching something recently. Uh, who's ever heard of the marshmallow test? Maybe, yeah, a few people. It's a very famous test. What they do is they give small children a marshmallow, and they say, if you eat this marshmallow now, uh, then you'll only get one. But if you wait two hours or whatever, a certain period of time, you, you get more marshmallows, uh, but you can't eat the marshmallow between then and now. So you have to wait, you have to delay, uh, you know, gratification. And uh, what they found is that it's a really interesting predictor of success later in life when they've tracked people. Over time, they've found that the kids who eat the marshmallow 
instantly are less likely to be able to kind of pursue careers in the future and to, to, to get into successful positions because they kind of, they, they don't learn to actually delay gratification, delay something, wait uh, for something. Uh, but, you know, I think timing is really important. Timing with God is important. And see, it's what we do in the wait that's important. Because sometimes we try and kind of make it happen. I don't know, relationships is a good one, right? Because we're like believing for a godly spouse. And, you know, and we're like, have this plan in our head. By 23, I'm going to be married. Things are going to be awesome. You know, my knight in shining armor is going to ride along. And, and it's, you know, it's a great vision to have. But sometimes life has kind of not turned out quite as we were anticipating. And the temptation is to, to think, okay, God, well, I gave you a little period of time. I'm just going to take that back. And I'll just see if I can make it happen my own way, right? <laughs> But actually, you know, waiting is something that we have to, to become good at because in that time, God is preparing us uh, for the things that he's calling us to do. And See, Nehemiah decided that this, if this was something that God wanted him to do, then he needed God's wisdom. So he prayed and he fasted. And he just went back to his role as the cupbearer. But he began thinking about it and planning a lot. You know, so he's just doing his everyday thing. But there was something stirring in him that from an outside perspective, you wouldn't necessarily have seen. But internally, something was shifting. He was getting strategy. He was getting a heart for the people. He was getting a burden. He was getting understanding on how to lead uh, people. And so when he comes to the place of, of actually rebuilding the wall, uh, things move really quickly. And had he rushed back in the beginning, actually there's a chance that things wouldn't have worked out so well. But he just believes God that, man, in the right time, I'll know. And in that moment, then I'll be able to go. But in the meantime, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray, God. I'm going to believe. You know, I'm going to commit myself to, uh, to learning things. Uh, because actually I want to be someone that, that goes in your timing. And, and it's interesting with Nehemiah, about six months uh, later, the king notices that he's sad, uh, and he asks what's wrong, and Nehemiah takes a big risk, right? Because, you know, they're not just going back to, to rebuild a city that is kind of uh, friends with this other place, right? He's rebuilding something that's going to be kind of in opposition to the king that he's currently working for. So, you know, it's unlikely that the king is uh, going to be, you know, super happy about the fact that he wants to rebuild a city. Uh, but God has been working in the heart of the king. Uh, and I think for us, how do we find waiting? Are you like one of those kids that eats the lolly? I, like, I was thinking about which place I would put myself in the marshmallow test, you know, that actually, you know, we, we, we kind of, sometimes we want to uh, be the people, we just, we just kind of like, okay, I'll just do it. You know, we live for today. But the temptation is, is to doubt that when God gives us a vision or, or to take matters into our own hands. And, and it's hard because sometimes we receive a vision you know, maybe in a moment of worship. And, and it feels like 
things, things aren't happening or, or things, you know, God's given us this incredible plan, but actually our circumstances seem completely opposite to that situation. Like, in fact, we seem to get further away uh, from the vision of where we kind of were believing that God was taking us to. And, and, and I love the Bible because it's just full of real people who had situations like that. You know, Nehemiah was in captivity to a foreign ruler and God gave him a vision about rebuilding Jerusalem. It's crazy because an enemy king is unlikely uh, to want to allow him, hey, go back, strengthen your walls, you know, rebuild your enemy city. And he was working for the guys whose ancestors had destroyed his city to begin with. But he believes that God is calling him back there and to lead his people and to help them rebuild. You know, if you know the story of Joseph, you'll know that he gets a vision, uh, but actually he, he finds himself in a pit. He finds himself being sold into slavery. He finds himself in prison. He's like, okay, God, I, I saw that one day this is where I was going to be leading people, that people would be bowing down, but actually I'm like as far from that situation as it could possibly seem like. I feel like I'm in a position that's, that's completely contrary to that. You know, Moses is an example. He gets a vision about saving the people of Israel of Egypt or his people who are in slavery in Egypt. Uh, and, you know, he takes it into his own hands. He sees uh, one of his brothers being attacked by an Egyptian, so he murders him. And then for 40 years, he finds himself as a, as a, um, a following sheep in the wilderness. So he's like, okay, God, but you've given me this vision, but man, I'm in a position that's completely away from where I see you, you know, calling me to. And David is another example. You know, one day he'll be king, and then he finds himself in a cave being chased by the ruling a king of the time, hiding and running for his life. See, some of us will find ourselves in situations like that, that maybe God's given us a vision, maybe God's given us something, but actually when we look at our situation, we feel like we're so far away from that. Maybe it's for a business, maybe you're believing, hey God, you know, that God's put on your heart an awesome idea for a business and you're believing with faith that it will come to pass, but you find yourself in a situation where just things aren't working out, where you're struggling and, and just not making ends meet. But I, I think that there's a correlation a lot of time between the, the waiting time and the magnitude of the vision to which we've been called. Because when you read the Word, a lot of the time, the amount of time for waiting, there's a correlation to, the, to vision uh, to which we've been called. And God is using your circumstances to position and prepare you to accomplish His vision for your life. God's using where you are right now. I, do you know, for me, I always know when you preach that, you know, God stirs stuff in your heart and kind of talk about this. He talks about this with you so that then you can preach it out. And this, this week, the last few weeks, God has been talking to me about my circumstances, about where I'm at and the visions that he's given me for my life and recognizing that thought that actually right where I am, He's using the circumstances. He's using, maybe you're in a job that you feel like, I don't know God, you've given me this awesome vision, but right now I'm in this job and things are going hard and it's not working out quite as I was imagining. But God is using your circumstances to position you and accomplish things for your life. 
But the question is, what do we do in the wait? What do we do to prepare for the vision that God is calling us to? Because heavenly vision endures. It'll come with us, it'll stick with us. The, the third thing is that heavenly vision provides. I, I love this thought, that when it's God's vision, it's God's provision. Or, or what God originates, he orchestrates. See, about six months later, the king notices that Nehemiah is sad, and he asks what's wrong, and Nehemiah takes a big risk in telling him what's sad, uh, why he's sad. Uh, but he knew that the king was the one person who could help him the most. So if you turn with me to Nehemiah 2, verse 7, and it says this, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. See, God provides the thing Nehemiah needs through the most unlikely of people. But Nehemiah recognises that it's because of the favour of God on his life that the king agrees to his request. You know, at times when God gives you a vision, sometimes it's hard to see how He's going to accomplish it. It's, it's hard to believe. But what's amazing is that when it's heavenly vision, when it's vision from God, we can trust that if it's His vision, then He's got it sorted. He controls the keepers of the King's forest. He's the one who's in control. You know, a few years ago, and God gave Caleb and I a vision for owning our own house. And we believed that it was going to be this awesome place where, where we could host people and we could bless others. And uh, really soon after God gave us that vision, He asked us to give away our house deposit and a miracle offering. So we gave over $20,000, which was a massive step for us, you know, in our journey. And it's kind of like crazy, you know, it's completely different from what we'd ever done before, but we were trusting in God all the money we'd saved and we just believed, okay, God, in faith, we're giving this to you. And our vision endured. And, and in the same year, then I felt God say to me, you need to go to Bible college. So I'd go from working full time as a teacher to working two days a week. So give up 60% of your income. And, and we're still like, okay, God, you've given us this vision for a house, but it feels like we're moving further away from being able to kind of get to the vision, right? But what was incredible is that the vision stuck. You know, for, for both of us, we just kept believing that, hey, God, you know, you've called us uh, to be people who can host, you know, to bless others. Uh, and, and amazingly, over the next 12 months, I, I don't even know kind of, like, I don't really understand how we did it, but we were no worse off in that next 12 months, uh, even though we'd given up all of that, but we'd believed and trust God and He'd been so incredibly faithful. 
And it was funny because when we thought we'd found the awesome house where it was going so well and we got the building report and it felt like things were going awesome. And then all of a sudden we discovered that the house we were about to buy was not a very good, not in very good condition. And it felt like, oh man, we thought this was the one. And then we're kind of like a bit discouraged. And so, so we decided we'd look at a rebound house. Yeah, so we were like, okay, let's go to this other place. And we turn up at this house and this guy, they were selling the house on their own and he didn't really know how to sell a house. But, but we just got there and we kind of both just knew that it was gonna be a house. Uh, and what was amazing was over a period of time, we were the only people that actually went to an open home. Like, which when you come to a house, we've got a really lovely house. But it's just a kind of crazy situation. But we were believing, man, God, if it's your vision, that it will be your provision. And, and I love, I don't know if you caught it, right at the end of that little bit, it said this. Let me just read it again. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Did you catch it? Because Nehemiah goes with a request. But actually, the king goes above and beyond for Nehemiah. He sends army officers and horsemen to protect him. He gives them letters to allow safe passage to get home uh, to his location. And, you know, that's the God that we serve. He knows what we need. When He gives us a vision, He's not like, okay, go figure it out on your own. Hey, good luck. Just see if you're smart enough to work it out. Actually, He desires to go above and beyond for us. Where are you at the moment? Do you ever dream for the future, but you just find it really hard to see how God's gonna bring it about? Maybe you're feeling a bit discouraged. You're like, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get from there to here. We don't have the finances or I don't have the skills or just the opportunities don't feel like they're there for me at the moment. Maybe you're like Joseph and God's given you a vision but you're kind of surrounded by people who are laughing at your vision or really not encouraging the vision that God's given you. As we read on in Nehemiah, he's really careful about who he shares his vision with. When he gets to rebuild the city, he he goes out and inspects it, but it says he's really careful not to tell too many people what he's doing. Because when a vision is small, it's really easy for it to be squashed. But as a vision grows in us and as God outworks a vision that it grows and grows, you know, that gets momentum. And so in those early stages, just being really aware of who you share your vision with. Be really aware if you've got people in your world who, who, you know, they may love you, but they're kind of like the, the type of people that will say, oh, that'll never be possible. Oh, you'll never be able to accomplish that. Because not everyone in your world right now will be as excited about your dream as you are. God's got a vision for each one of our lives. We're His handiwork, created to do good works, which He prepared in advance. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.